0: You know, I have been speaking to you about the judgments of God. And I suppose that uh, in speaking of the great tribulation to come, the time of Jacob's trouble, which will come upon the earth in its final paroxysms of sin, And after the church is taken away, before the millennial kingdom, the church having been called out to be with Christ, the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, 7-year period, starts upon the earth. Then after that, the battle of Armageddon at the end, then the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, during which time, 1,000 years, Satan is chained in the bottomless pit, At the end of the thousand years, Satan is released once more deceives the nations Then the great final conflict, the purification and the cleansing away of all sin, for even in the millennial, Christ will reign as king with a rule of iron and will stand for no sin. He will stand for no disobedience in that thousand years, and Israel will reign with Christ upon the earth. Israel will come into that place where God has claimed they shall come. And then at the end of that thousand years, that final great conflict, fire descending from heaven, heaven and earth pass away, it says, and a new heaven and a new earth comes in, pristine relationship, glorified bodies, fit for the new creation to dwell with Christ forever. What a day. But right now I'm speaking about judgments, and... uh, Of course, I don't speak of judgment because I like it. I don't like it. No human being could like it. I don't relish what's going to happen upon the earth. If ever I seem excited about it, it's merely because it's part of God's Word, and I know that Christians shall escape it. But I never rejoice over judgment because my God never rejoiced over judgment. My God is a God of love, I would remind you. In Isaiah twenty-eight twenty-one, it says, Then will his anger come up before him, and he will do his strange work. It's not the kind of work God likes. He doesn't like to judge. But he will have to judge. He cannot be righteous and not judge. So therefore the day will come of God's judgment, that I I don't like to, to meditate upon the condign judgments of God, but I refuse not to speak of them, but rather that as God's servant I might so proclaim it to make sure that no one who hears my voice will ever have to go through such judgments. And let us make sure we understand that thoroughly. It is God's strange work. It's not the work he likes to do. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Herein is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and gave himself as a propitiation for our sins. So God has made all the advances he can to man to bring man to himself. And then finally judgment comes. I can't even say that I like chastening. What Christian likes chastening? In Hebrews 12 it says, Now no chastening for the moment seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those that are exercised thereby. So if the judgments exercise you that I speak of, exercise you to come to Christ as your personal Savior or to decide to dedicate your life to Jesus Christ or to live for Jesus Christ, then it will have accomplished the end which God desires. For He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So even when I think of the Christian life and the chastenings which we do, it says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son, you should expect it if you're living for Christ and you desire to live for Christ, there'll be chastening in your life. God won't let you get too far away. He'll bring you down low. He'll do it through many ways. He'll touch your family. He'll take that precious loved one home to himself, possibly, I don't know. But you know what it is. And you know God is chastening you to bring you back. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. But I have to say that uh, if I can just give a little personal testimony, if you bear it for a minute or two. I mentioned it to prayer meeting Wednesday night, but I'd like to say now that I've been chastened for the last month. Oh, well, no one would know it but me and my dear wife and my deacons. But I have been chastened very severely with an eye that could have had disastrous results, you see. No one knew I had gone to the doctor over a month ago and had been told that uh, it looked like it was a cancer on my eye. And I want to tell you, we really went to prayer. Well, I didn't come to the church. I didn't want my whole church to be upset and frightened, and I knew it wasn't the quantity of prayers that was going to do it. It was going to be quality. And so I just asked those who surrounded me with their love to pray for me For I'd gone through the whole process of knowing what I would have to go through. They had told me what I would have to have done, that they would have to remove all this area, took a cut right out of my forehead down to here, and graft all the skin in into this area. So you can imagine that while I preached and while I maybe had a nice smile on my face and in my heart, and there was a lot of pain there too, I'll tell you that that uh, it was a chastening time for me. We're speaking of, of chastening. It was a chastening time for me. I am glad I'm going through it. You see, I'm glad I've gone through it. God spoke to my heart all through it. One of the deacons said to me, I never drew so close to Christ as I did in the last month. But we went through that chastening time. And then just two weeks ago, I guess nearly two weeks ago, they decided that they'd better operate. And at first they were going to put me in the hospital, and then they decided, why should we do it here? Let's send him to the world-renowned, supposed to be the greatest eye doctor in the world, in New York, the head of the Eye and Hospital of New York City. So they sent me in to him. He looked at it, I said, it's just amazing to me, you know, how things happen. Well, let me tell you, you want to listen just for a few minutes? You, it's tremendous. You we're prayer meeting, you'll bear with me, all right? But anyway, we walk in and across both surgeons, there's a husband-wife surgeon team. Their name is Cole, they're noted. They're in Park Avenue, New York. He's head of the i Hospital. They're both FACSs, which means Fellowship American College of Surgeons. And the first I have to see the wife, she's the first surgeon I see, and then the husband, who's the top surgeon. He's operated on men from all over the world. And I first see the wife. It would be hard for me to explain this, but I walk into the office. They invited my wife in, too, and we sit down. And uh, believe it or not, the first question out of our mouth was this. Are you ecumenical Baptists? She'd heard the word ecumenical. So, of course, Alice and I, between us, bore the testimony. But uh, I said, no, we're not. Alice said, no, at the same time, we're not. But I said, maybe you'd like me to tell you what kind of a Baptist I am. You know, this is the perfect opening, isn't it? Perfect opening. For 40 minutes. 24 patients outside. For 40 minutes. Alice and I were able to testify of Christ. We sat there twice. I saw tears come down her face. She said, can I show you a letter I wrote at Christmas time, pastor? She said, I wrote this letter. She said, would you read it? Maybe you don't agree with it, but read it. The top sentence says this. Jesus Christ was born in the heart of Jose Manuel at this Christmas time. Then they go down to say, Jose Manuel was from Mexico. They were in a bad accident. His eye was gouged out practically, both eyes. They sent him to Dr. Cole. Dr. Cole performed a miracle operation on his eyes. He sees. And this man said, because of your operation, I have found Christ as my Savior. And I said this, you know, remember the, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch? And then remember Philip coming up alongside? And what they said Knowest thou what thou readest? I said, do you know what you wrote? She said, no, I, I don't really. But I said, let me tell you about the new birth. You said that Christ was born in his heart. Let me tell you what it means. I told her what the new birth meant. Again, she said, I've never heard anything so beautiful in all my life. From there, I was taken into Dr. Cole. Now, I only say this to give you an idea of what happened in 40 minutes. The minute she walked into Dr. Cole, he is the greatest eye doctor. She looked at him. She said, sweetheart, I just met the greatest preacher I've ever met in my life. And I looked at him, and I just said, I want you to notice your wife said that not me. <laughs> Gave us chance to talk to Dr Cole. I'm telling you this because out of a chastening experience I've had the glorious opportunity now of, of testifying to three doctors about Jesus Christ one local and then two others. I went in just thinking he'd look at my eye quickly you know and say uh, you know well Maybe next week or something, we'll call you down, you know, and take you to the eye hospital. So instead of that, this man says to me, step outside for 20 minutes and I'll fix up my instruments and we'll go to work. Takes me inside. You can imagine the prayers going up from our hearts, Alice and I. Operates on the eye in his office, cuts right across it. Half-hour operation all by himself. I didn't feel a pain, not a drop of blood. I thought not one single drop of blood from the operation. Does the whole job, says, I'll call you next week. On Wednesday, I'll let you know the results of the biopsy. Well, you can imagine the prayer that went up. We really prayed. Wednesday, no call. Chastening spirit, you know, going on in my soul. Drawing close to Christ. I read the scriptures and I study, but I want to tell you, I just ate it up, you know, eat the book. And I was eating it up and praying my heart out, and every day Steve would be in and we'd pray together. And uh, nothing came Wednesday. And it really was, you know, feeling terrible. Thursday morning, I get a call. And the secretary calls up. She said, Reverend Gean, I said, "Yeah." She said, uh, Dr. Cole asked if I would call you, and she had rather a sad voice, you know, (laughs) Dr. Cole asked if I would call you, and I'm thinking, oh boy, you know, the way she's talking, she said, I have the report, you know, and thinking, well, what does the report say? (laughs) She said, past again, it's providence. There's not one single cell of cancer. Well, I can tell you, Alice and I were in the bedroom. We just cried our eyes out and got on our knees by our bedside and just praised the Lord for what Christ had done for us. Now, suppose he hadn't. Well, you can ask my deacons what I said to them. I said, if he heals me, let us rejoice. And if he does not and takes me home, let us rejoice. All right. That's the answer. Whether we live or whether we die, right? We belong to Christ. But you see, though he didn't find one single cell of cancer, every single evidence pointed to it. And I'm not saying, you see, that, ah, they didn't find any. I'm saying it was there and God took it away. Ah, when I pray, I believe. God did it for us. Now this was a chastening experience in my heart, but I want to tell you that through that chastening experience, even as I mentioned the judgments of God in the tribulation, what I'm saying is a chastening experience in the Christian life can draw us closer to Jesus Christ if we let it do its effective work. I am thanking God for the experience I had through that whole thing, for it made my heart draw closer to Jesus. And come to appreciate what life means, every little thing. Isn't it a shame we have to wait until some terrible burden comes to appreciate all that we have in the Lord Jesus and how precious it is to be saved and to know we're saved? Isn't it terrible? What a shame. But the judgments of God, beloved, that I'm speaking about, I just bring that in. No one's joyous about chastening, but it produces something. And no one's joyous about the judgments are coming, and it's God's strange work. He doesn't even like to chasten us, but we're children, he says, whom the Lord loves. He chastens and scourges every son. And so in the judgments of the great tribulation, great judgments shall come upon the earth. And God wants it preached so that no one will mistake what's coming and will flee to the cross and to Christ for salvation, knowing that that salvation will save them from the great judgments which are to come. Now, I was speaking to you from Revelation, you know, last week, Revelation 6. There are, if I might say, let me use a method. You know, I've always been rather impressed. Uh, do you remember, well, Dr. Woodbridge will be here, incidentally, in September, you know. He's come back from Australia. And he'll be here with uh, Mrs. Woodbridge in September. And the Reverend and Mrs. Bennett will be with us in May. So we have a two-fold team now, sort of, the setup in Bible classes and all. But I'll never forget, you know, when I would go to camp every year and live on the island. And I want to tell you that's an experience, too living with 450 kids, which I did for a lot of years up on the island and saw what went on there. But I'll never forget Dr. Woodbridge when he would be teaching the Word of God, you know, and how he would uh, deal with the kids, you know. Now, notice how he'd do this. You know, last week I said, let me see how much you've learned. How many judgments are there in the Great Tribulation period? Well, now let me do it like Dr. Woodbridge does it. Twenty-one. How many judgments are there in the Great Tribulation? How many? Didn't you hear me? Seven. How many sealed judgments are there? Brilliant. How many trumpet judgments are there? Seven. But he would always tell the kids, he would say, you know, he gives the number first, see, 21. How many judgments are there in the Great Tribulation? And then the kids would all shout, 21! And he'd say, what a brilliant group of young folks. But really, if you learn out of what we're studying of the judgments of God, where will the church be during the Great Tribulation? Where will it be? With Christ! Caught up, 1 Thessalonians 4th chapter caught up to be with Christ. What is another name given to the Great Tribulation? Jacob's Trouble, 70th week of Daniel. What is the name of the last battle in the Great Tribulation? What is it? Battle of Armageddon. All of these, if you'll just learn from this, who's going to rule during the Millennial Kingdom? Jesus Christ. Who is King of kings and Lord of lords and the only high potentate over all the earth? Jesus Christ. Who will rule with Christ when he's seated on the throne of David? This tells you. Who will rule? Israel. He's not going to sit on the throne of David and have the Gentiles rule. The Jews. It says in that day that Ten Gentiles shall consider it a privilege to carry the skirt of a Jew who is a ruler. This is the day that's coming, you see. And we were speaking of the judgments last week, and if you turn over with me to Revelation, the eighth chapter. I'm skipping the seventh chapter purposely. The reason for that is that And in the 6th chapter, we have the four horsemen mentioned. And uh, conquest, war, famine, and death. These are the seal judgments. In chapter 7, there are six judgments there. In chapter 7, there is a respite from judgment. While God calls out 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel, notice in the Great Tribulation, calls out 12,000 from each tribe, 144,000, despite Jehovah's Witnesses, 144,000 Jews to be the great evangelists throughout the great tribulation period. They shall receive the mark of God in their foreheads. No one shall be able to kill them. They shall not be able to slay these who have the special mark of God upon them. They're going to be the evangelists. They may suffer, but God's going to preserve them and keep them those who he called aside to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ during the Great Tribulation period. Now we come to the 8th chapter, and if you will turn to that 8th chapter, we find that in the 1st verse there is the 7th seal judgment of God mentioned. Now notice, when he had opened the 7th seal, the 6 seals we mentioned are in the 5th chapter, we already dealt with those. There was silence in heaven for about the space of a half an hour. Now, beloved, if I can say this, that terrible silence in heaven must have been a terrible, terrible <laughs> moments before they fall, these judgments. It is though all heaven quiets down and stands in awe at what's going to happen. The first judgments were bad enough, famine and war and taking peace from the earth, the terrible confusion upon the earth, all hell breaking loose and the sealed judgments. And now the trumpet judgments are coming. And this begins with the eighth chapter. Oh, heaven is silent for a half hour. Can you picture heaven silent? What it is, is it it would be much, if I could put it this way, it would be much as as the Titanic of old and the captain on the bridge and the members of his crew, possibly. They've seen, they've sounded, they hear this giant ship and suddenly they realize in front of them, unable to avoid it, is this tremendous, tremendous iceberg hidden underneath most of it. And they, they stand in awe. They can do nothing. This terrible judgment is coming upon the Titanic, this unsinkable ship, and they stand and they say nothing, and then the ship plows in and ripped from stem to stern, it sinks, and they've said not a word while well they've waited to see what would happen. Here's heaven. It's that tense moment. Terrible judgments are coming upon the earth, the trumpet judgments of God the kind of judgments God never wanted to bring upon the earth. He never wanted to bring it when Adam was made in his own image. But Adam fell and departed from God, and now the judgments of God are brought upon a rebellious man who fell in the Garden of Eden and has sinned and sinned and sinned until the cup of iniquity is full, and God must bring his condign judgment down upon mankind, complete and final until he sets up his millennial kingdom and so he begins his judgment when he opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. It's hard for me to imagine heaven being silent. I can imagine the angels of God and the saints of God standing in the parapets of heaven, looking much as did the astronauts, only with different eyes, as they looked down upon the earth and realized how small it was. And we saw the pictures that they took with their cameras and looked down upon the earth, and I can picture all the pavilions of heaven. They know what's happened. The sealed judgments have come, and now the Trumpet judgments are coming and they wait silently for fear and knowing what's coming upon the earth and all that men might be saved, that they might flee to God, that they might find Christ as Savior. For there is still the possibility with the evangelist of God going about that souls will be preserved and even by death They will be translated, which would be far better than going through the great tribulation. For I remind you that when that tribulation fell in the fifth chapter, it says, and they cried to the mountains, and they sought the dens and the caves, that they might hide from the wrath of God, and they sought death and could not die. Imagine you'd like to die, and you can't for you must face the judgment of God. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came, not one of the seven, and he stood at the altar. Now here you can think of the silence in heaven. Here gives you a clue. And they stood at the altar of God. And they had a golden censer. He had. And there was given unto him much incense. That he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from off the altar. I want you to think for a minute. And cast it upon the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Now I want you to see the picture. Here is another angel. Now, many say that this is speaking of Jesus himself, that this is speaking of Christ in a great sense. But the main thing is we're to understand that all of the prayers of the saints and the incense is being brought another angel to God, you see. Christ is Son of God and Savior, and though many of the translators claim it is another angel that the other angel is Christ. Let's leave it just what God says here. Another angel came and presented the incense. Let's take the word of God as its literal translation, you see, and he presented in the incense. Incense was made of four beautiful things you'll find back in the Old Testament. It was a mixture of four glorious scents, and it was to show forth the beauty of Christ. It was to show forth his pure And his righteousness and his holiness, and that incense was a sweet smelling savor to God, for it spoke of Jesus Christ and him alone. And so that incense went up with all the prayers of the saints, and you can see the scene here. The seven trumpets have been given out, silence in heaven, and all that is being uttered are the prayers of God's children. the earth itself to be low. And I want you to notice what happens. He takes the golden censer, which is filled with the incense, which speaks of his purity and his holiness and his righteousness, and speaks of Jesus and the sweet-smelling savor he is to God. It's in front of the altar, and the altar speaks of sacrifice ever. It is speaking of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. And here is that which is salvation. It is speaking to God of this glorious salvation that brought all these children in that they might pray and that they might turn their hearts to God. They turn them away from earth for what's happening on earth. They cannot watch the scene. And so they turn toward God. But notice that the same God, and the same golden censer that held the incense and burned to God in prayers is emptied of the incense, and the same God who provided salvation in Jesus Christ, and who provided that these prayers would be uttered, and the incense would be swept up, the incense is taken out, and the calls of judgment are taken from off the altar and cast upon the earth. So the same God of mercy becomes the God of judgment. You cast the coals upon the earth. Now may I speak. Oh, boy, time flies. Could keep you another couple of hours. We'll get to it if the Lord tarries. But let me say this. That word cast is a very important word. That word cast is a word, beloved, that has very, very deep meanings, if I might say. Cast it upon the earth. The word, according to all the great translators, including Walter Scott, who's the greatest translator from many years ago of the book of Revelation, the word cast implies an absolutely inexorable power which no one can stop. It is not its falling on earth, but it is cast cast upon the earth. And it couldn't help me think, you know, we got our dew line and we have our anti-missile, anti-missile missiles, you know, to stop men getting their bonds of hydrogen and all of the other elements to burst over us. We haven't developed it yet, they're frank about it. Well, if they're working on it, a screen will be set up. But I want to tell you there's no early warning system with God. The meaning of the word in the Greek is he cast it upon the earth with the sense of it with the incense of God in Christ reconciling the world unto itself becomes a means of judgment because they re- refused his precious son and it's cast upon the earth inexorable power impossible to stop it all of the weapons of man can do nothing and he cast it upon the earth in tremendous judgment upon man. Notice. The angel took the censer and filled it with a fire off the altar and cast it. It's not the word fell. We'll find that later. And a star fell. God let it fall. But not here. Men might think they're able to stop the judgment of God, but the Greek word says inexorable power, unable to be stopped. Little did they think it would even be necessary in those days. When Revelation was written 2,000 years ago, could they ever conceive of such a thing? That man would attempt to create weapons which would stop any weapon coming from heaven? So God makes sure that we understand, and he puts the word, CAST, and it's from heaven. And he cast it upon the earth in judgment upon man. And there were voices, and thunderings, and lightnings, and an earthquake, that's the beginning. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. That wasn't the first judgment. That was merely God speaking of his power and letting man know, this is my judgment. Russia didn't send it. China didn't send it. The United States didn't send it up. God sent his judgment, and he cast it upon the earth in great and terrible judgment. Well, listen to me, beloved. Is it possible that there might be someone here this morning that would not want to have Christ the Savior of the Lord, to be caught up together with the Lord, to meet the Lord in the clouds in the air, to be in heaven with him, and to be in the pavilions of heaven when these judgments come? Is it possible that we can be so blind? I couldn't help but think when Dr. Cole, I'm writing him a letter, because I still want to speak to this man. I'm writing him a letter. I said, God has given you great gifts to work on the eyes of a man that he might see physically. God has given me a gift that you might be able to see with the eyes of your understanding, and know Christ as your Savior. Do you know him? Oh, I've got a lot more to say about judgments, but that's the beginning. Silence in heaven, the censor of God, But he's saying, free the wrath which is to come. Let us pray. Father, bless this word, Lord. It's thy word. Oh, how blessed. Maybe that someone this morning wants to say, Pastor, again, just pray for me. I want Christ as my Savior. I really do. I mean it. It's a secret in my heart. I've even pretended to be saved sometimes, but I really am not. I want to make sure I want to know Christ as my personal Savior. I want to know that, as the scripture we read this morning said, He died for us, and in that He lives, He he will keep us much more. You'd like Christ. Just put your hand up, say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, Lord, bless you. Couldn't wait. Anyone? Yes. Yes, God bless you. Praise God, Daddy. Father, see with your children. Anyone else? Put your hand. Yes, God bless you. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. God bless you, Father. Mother, God bless you. Yes, anyone else? This is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Anyone else? Quickly. Don't hesitate. Listen, beloved. Time is too short. Anyone else? Quickly. Young. Father, mother, grandmother, grandfather, make it now. Do it publicly. Say, here, here is my hand for Jesus Christ. Anyone? Quickly. Yes, I see your hand. God bless you, mother. Yes. Anybody else? Put your hand up high. Oh, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Put it way up. Anyone? Quickly, just hold it up till I see it and then take it down. Anyone else? Just put it high so I can see it. Anywhere at all, just as I close don't hesitate. Is God saying to you, put your hand up, don't hesitate. The Holy Spirit has spoken to you. You feel very seriously about it. People may even think, listen, every eye is closed. People may even think you're a Christian. And you know in your heart you're not. You want to make sure now. Just say, Pastor, pray for me. Anyone? Just as I close. Once more, anyone at all. Don't hesitate. Anywhere, balcony, downstairs, outside, in the North X choir behind me, they can tell me could happen, anywhere it can happen. Yes, I see your hand, Lord bless you. Quickly, put your hand high, way up, way up. Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank Thee for these, parents, and especially, Lord, we saw many who came to Christ as personal Savior, and we pray that blessing upon their hearts. Lord, would you draw them close to yourself? Help them to see the unsearchable riches of Christ, that God is a God of love. He never wanted to judge the earth. All we have to do is look at the earth to know it needs some judgment, that one day a kingdom of righteousness will reign, and Christ will reign, and we're thankful for that. Lord, we're thankful you've called us a special people, Your bride, your church, to be gathered to yourself before wrath breaks out on this earth. That's what we're looking to. Now, Father, bless each one of these. Gather them to thyself. May they draw nigh to Christ, being cleansed in his blood from sin. And may they live for thee. In Christ's name, amen.